Before September 11, life was simple for Jamila, a mother who runs a nursery in eastern Libya. Two days later, her 20-year-old son would be one of the many men helping to dig a mass grave for 600 people in Derna after disaster struck. You can't control a storm, that's true, especially a bad one like Storm Daniel. But when two dams, which hadn't been maintained since 2002, break, and authorities tell thousands of people to stay at home instead of evacuate the night that Derna was swept into the sea, you start to wonder how much could have been done to prevent the death of thousands of people. Here's Jamila's sister, Najah. This is not just one woman's account of the damage. So many eyewitnesses recounted the same thing. Entire neighborhoods gone. Families killed right at home. Bodies turning up after the waves had brought them back as search and rescue teams tell whomever has remained alive to quiet down so they can try and listen for a faint sound coming from under the rubble. The scene is apocalyptic. This is Beyond the Headlines. I'm Nadal Taher, and this week we're talking about Libya's own 9-11, Storm Daniel, its impact on the city of Derna, and the gigantic task ahead for authorities and rescue workers to sort through the rubble and identify the dead. The UN has revised an initial death toll of 11,000 people and now says 4,000 people are confirmed dead and at least 9,000 are missing. But these are just estimates. The disaster's true extent remains unclear. While search and recovery operations are ongoing, hope for survivors is very close to none. The task at hand is overwhelming, even by the standards of aid workers. Here's the Nationals' Ismail Naar, reporting from Derna. And it's just destruction everywhere. It's hard to put into words the smell of death just all around you. Um, that's why you're advised to wear face masks. People have criticized the government's emergency response, which, we are told, is extremely uncoordinated, with not one single entity overseeing the entire process. And today, just as we're recording this podcast on September 19, protests are ongoing in Libya, as comms are completely cut off to prevent people from gathering. To get a better sense of how it all happened, we've spoken to International Rescue Committee aid worker Bashir Ben Amr. It's a city that's um, between the sea and the mountains, and there are valleys in the mountains. And this is how the floods happened. And this is why there used to be dams within the main valley that splits Derna into two parts. Unfortunately, now, after the uh, collapse of the bridges uh, on both sides of the uh, valley, three bridges, now the city is cut into two halves, uh, the eastern and western. And even the, the transportation between the two parts used to take around 10 to 15 kilometers. Now it takes 150 kilometers. So the aid efforts are really difficult. Just It's difficult to enter the city, number one, just to, to have seven entrances. Now we have only one, the southern entrance, and it is not reliable and wasn't really used as an entrance. Uh, usually we used to, to use the coastal road uh, that passes by Derna, and now we, we have to really turn around 
for more 120 kilometers to be able to reach the southern entrance. The aid is being the response now. Currently, the focus has been during the four days, focusing into rescue and search efforts. The people are traumatized and shocked. And whether now uh, they are looking for their loved ones who are missing or burying their loved ones found. So you can imagine how big is the disaster. And still, actually, it's everywhere. The sea is um, uh, bringing bodies back. Uh, but this is still under the rubble, under the fall-down houses. Um, and and uh, also the hospital is full of bodies who are unknown. Currently, pictures are being taken for those who are unknown and buried as well. It's overwhelming, and this is what we are working on right now. We're working day and night to be able to design a response that's efficient, that's well integrated between different sectors because we have to work at different levels. It's not just health. It's not just uh, shelter. It's not just uh, infrastructure. It's about everything. Also, the telecommunication infrastructure that was completely collapsed. It's a very big challenge. Also, the research and rescue efforts weren't efficient enough. Why? Because of the telecommunication infrastructure that's, that was completely collapsed. So the communication between rescue and search teams at the beginning was really... Um, a big issue. Uh, but later on, uh, you know, there are teams of search and rescue came from different other countries uh, to be able to find and save lives as much as possible. And while survival is very much the main focus for the people of Derna, there's also an underlying feeling of anger and exasperation at the lack of support given by the Libyan government in the wake of the floods. Here's Mohamed El Jarh, managing partner at Libya Desk Consultants. He spoke to us five days after the disaster. The situation, unfortunately, despite some improvement, uh, remains chaotic. Uh, It lacks very clear uh, central structure uh, that is able to handle, be it the issue of search, uh, rescue, identification, burial, the issues of public health, the issues of diseases that are spreading and so on and so forth, or be it dealing with the mounting and pressing issue of survivor, their needs, and delivering aid. So it is not the fact that there is shortage, but it is the fact that there seems to be utter incompetence in managing that process. There is no proper disaster response management going on, and it is the fifth day. Teams from the UAE, Turkey, France, and Egypt, as well as several other nations, have sent their own personnel. But it's important to remember, Libya's government is split into two parts since 2014, East and West. Despite the rivalry, the government of national unity in the West has also sent reinforcements, and people from outside Derna have flocked in to help, in a sweet but painful image of the country finally coming together in the worst possible circumstances. Here's Mohammed again. This help is much appreciated uh, on the ground, especially for survival, survivors. Uh, but as I said, unfortunately, the situation remains uh, chaotic, uh, despite the fact that it is uh, the fifth day. The overall impression is that this is, this is the shock, the trauma, and it's, it's for the entire country. 
It's for the people of the entire country. Uh, and you can see it in the convoys that have made their ways. People from every part of Libya are pouring towards Darna and towards the Green Mountain area, where to the point, of course, it is much appreciated that people have this feeling and duty that they need to do something. Uh, but it is now contributing to the chaos, contributing to the delays, contributing to the shortages in fuel that is much needed for these areas that have been devastated. And right now, as the bodies pile up, health authorities are also worried about an outbreak of cholera as proper sanitation remains lacking and corpses rot. It's a grim reality, but it's Libya's reality. And it won't be clear just how vast and deep the devastation goes. On the ground, and more importantly, in the psyche and the hearts of Libyans, many of who have lost everything in the process. This was Beyond the Headlines. A special thank you to Bashir bin Amir for his contribution and efforts and Mohammed Al-Jarh for his insights and analysis. I've been your host, Nada Al-Tahir. This episode was produced by Phil Green, Dua Farid, and Arthur Edison. Please join us next week for another one of these, wherever you get your podcasts.